Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following recording is from our Sunday morning gathering. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Yeah, uh, my name's Daniel uh, McLean. I was an associate pastor here with Nate for three years. I also went to ministry school with Nate. And so that's where I first met him. We were both 18. Uh, he was crazy long hair, skinny jeans, and Converse. And uh, I was a homeschooler from Oregon. And yeah, uh, middle of seven. And, uh, and uh, you know, we didn't... The real strict rules about long hair, skinny jeans, and tattoos, and uh, I just thought, you know, you're not supposed to do that if you love the Lord, and Nate was, was the first guy I met at this school of ministry, and, and that changed my paradigm. Uh, anyway, and I've grown a lot since then, so, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm from Oregon, and I uh, help out with the youth ministry there, lead Bible studies, uh, deeper project, very similar. And today, I get to be with you guys, and we're jumping into 1 Corinthians. Uh, I know you guys have been going through that as a church. Uh, Pastor Nate just took you through chapter 4 last week. Um, If you want to turn in your Bibles there, we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 14, and then we're going to read into chapter 5. So, what it says? It says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. And Nate touched on that last week. We need fathers. We need people who are willing to tell us the truth. We need people who are willing to take out the rod every once in a while. Right? And now focus in on this next Two verses here. This is huge. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So, first of all, the Holy Spirit is inspiring scripture. Paul is writing scripture. So, this isn't just Paul high on the horse. This is Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, imitate me, follow me. And he says, and I'm going to send Timothy, and he's going to remind you of the way that I lived. And that is also what I remind people every church I go. So this isn't just a Corinth thing. It's not just like Corinth is the only ones that are expected to imitate imitate Paul. But everywhere Paul goes, he's carrying this message of, hey, Jesus Christ is, is, is God. We need to follow him. And I'm living in such a way that this is the pattern. You need to follow Christ like this. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then whenever Paul would send out a Timothy or a Titus, he'd be like, I want you to live in this way to show them the pattern. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, um, and this, this theme continues throughout the New Testament. And you, if you go to Philippians, Paul is huge on this. Almost the whole book could be summed up this way. It is Paul just reinforcing this idea that we need to follow in Jesus Christ's footsteps, who humbled himself and, and came down and he died in our place. Ace, for the glory of God and for the betterment of man, Jesus came for us. And Paul is living in that same way. For, for the glory of God, I'm, 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 I'm you know, becoming all things to all people that I might, by all means, 
means, gain some. Um, so we live for the glory of God first and foremost in the betterment of man, which means picking up the cross, denying ourselves, and following Jesus. And that is the pattern. That is what it means to be a Christian. It means to live for God's glory, whatever the cost, and to live for the betterment of man. And the way we do that primarily is by denying ourselves, picking up the cross, and following Jesus. That is the pattern. And Paul is saying here, imitate me. Follow me. And then he says this, verse 18. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? You know, Jesus Christ said something really similar. He said, you will either make me the cornerstone of your life and you will build your life upon me. Or I will crush you to bits. The Christian message is exclusive in the sense that it is Christ alone. And you either make him the cornerstone of your life and you build everything around him. Or he will crush you to powder. That, that is it. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, I can come in love. If, if, if you guys are, are, are willing to, to learn and repent and change your ways and come into alignment with, with the gospel, then I can come in love and gentleness and it can be great. But if you continue to be puffed up and rebellious and refuse to submit to the Lord Jesus, then I'm going to come with a rod. Okay? Um, So, that's anytime the word of God is preached, you you have those options. You can either soften your heart or you can harden your heart. And honestly, check this out. Do you know that Jesus, when he taught parables, he says, I intentionally teach parables parables so that those who do not believe like who the, those who are like this they would become even harder that's kind of crazy that's kind of crazy we were like wait 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 jesus if this is if you're the only way of heaven why in the world would you you know teach in a way that would allow people to continue on in their own hardness? Why don't you just make it so plain and, and just be like, hey, absolutely don't you know, miss this. Because God wants you to soften your heart. Because God wants you to humble yourself and realize you're not God. And you don't get determined why you're here or what's, what is right and wrong or where you're going when you die or what makes your life worth something. God gets to determine those things. If Jesus Christ is really the Lord of your life, then you say the where I came from is God. He made me. Who gets to determine what is right and what's wrong in my life is God. Who gets to determine why I'm here, what my gifts are, what I'm supposed to spend my life for is God. It's Jesus Christ. And at the end of it all, when I die, it's him that determines whether my life was well spent or whether it was wasted. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Or depart from me, I never knew you. What does it mean 
to be a Christian? What does it mean to be part of the church? What does it mean to be an insider? What does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be an outsider? What does it mean to be outside of the church? That is going to be incredibly important as we dive into chapter 5. Because knowing the answer to that question is how you apply chapter 5. And if you do not know how to answer the question, how do I know whether I'm a part of the church or not, then chapter 5 will be impossible for you to apply to your life. Okay, here we go. Chapter 5. We're going to read it in the NLT, and I have it up on the screen, I believe. Maybe. That's okay. Here we go. It says, verse 1, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. And this is really interesting. The Corinthian church is boasting and glorying and praising in something they should be weeping over. And yet they're still called the church. They're still called believers. Paul is writing to them as those that are lacking no spiritual gift, that they've been saved by grace alone, right? But yet they are so blind because of pride that they are boasting in something they should be weeping over. I want you to search your heart right now. And let's just assume that maybe you're not perfect. Is there things in your life that maybe you're boasting in, or maybe you're glorying in, that if we were really be honest, Jesus is weeping over. Uh, the stepmother in, in this culture, uh, generally men did not get married until they were mid-30s. And usually they would marry women uh, 12 to 15 years they're younger. So this... It's, and this is a stepmother, so either this person got married again uh, or the, uh, the, the spouse died and married again. Um, but the likelihood is the person that is sleeping with the stepmother is probably closer in age to the stepmother than the father is. Um, I didn't know that. I always read that passage like, well, dude, that's weird. Why would you be sleeping with such an old lady? But um, just culturally speaking, um, they were actually probably pretty close in age. Um, which I think is a little bit more understandable. But still, it's still, Paul's like, what in the world? Why are you guys so crazy right now? Um, okay, you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. The New King James just says, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In verse 6, it says this, your boasting about this is terrible. 
Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Now, notice it says this. It does not say, a get rid of this wickedness among you by removing the wickedness, but by removing the wicked person. Leonard Ravenhill used to say this, and it blew my mind when I first heard it. He said, God, <laughs> he says, people say this all the time, God, God loves you but hates your sin. And he goes, that's, 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 that's garbage. God hates you for committing the sin. God does not throw sin into hell. He throws sinners into hell. The answer is not to get the sin out. The answer is to get the sinner out. You must remove the wicked man from among you. Now, how many in why we are at sinners, Christ died for us? Okay, so while, yes, God hates, God also loved us in why we are at sinners, came and died for us. But the solution here is not just to get rid of the sin. The solution is, is you have to deal with the wicked person. Okay. Let's keep reading on here. The wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. This is, what, what an encouraging word. He says, remove this, this person. And then you will be a pure batch of dough, which is what you really are. You'll notice this as you read through scriptures, whether it's Hebrews, whether it's First and Second Peter, whether it's First John. These guys will come down so hard they'll be like, yeah, you know, you guys are living this way. This is absolutely terrible. Oh, and if you you keep going down this way, you're going to be picked up and thrown into the fire, and it's just terrible. But we have better hope for you. <laughs> like, like they always followed up with some grace and mercy. But we're we're convinced of better things towards you guys. You're, you're going to get it. You're, you're going to learn from this. Because you really are a pure dough. Um, you, you really are that. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you, um, actually, pause. So, this is interesting. So, back in Israel, during time of Passover, you would take all the yeast out, out of your house, and you would make, you'd make the dough, and then you would save a patch of that dough with, with the yeast, so that when you made a new loaf of bread, you just take a little bit of the yeast from that row and, and you would roll it in and then that yeast would spread and, and uh, yeah, you know, make the new loaf rise, right? And Christ is saying, stop taking from this old nature. Stop taking from this old wicked evil and adding it to your life. And start taking from the divine nature. Start taking from Christ. Stop living in the old way. Start living in the new way like you're really supposed to be. Get rid of that old thing. That was supposed to die with Christ in baptism. Get rid of that wickedness and start living in your new nature out of that new loaf, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the parallel that he's drawing there. Okay, moving on. When I wrote to you before, 
I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Uh, the New King James will say sexual immorality. Sexual immorality or sexual sin is a broad way of referring to all sexual sin. And the understanding in that time was very clear without question. And sexual immorality was any sexual fulfillment outside of a heterosexual monogamous marriage. That would have been considered uh, by Jesus and the apostles and the Jews of that time as uh, sexual sin. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, but especially with your stepmother. It's like, especially, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. So here, here we go. Um, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. It's held December 6th. They have to get... So you have opportunities still to... <laughs> okay, if, if you're in the church, you're getting judged. And that's the way God ordained it and it's the way it's set up. And if you're like, well, I don't want people to judge me, do you don't want to be a part of the church of God? Certainly, you must judge those who are among you. Certainly. Now, 1 Corinthians 5 is not written to the church leaders. It's written to the whole church. So, we don't get to say, well, you know, Pastor Nate, I don't know why he's not correcting that person. I mean, everybody knows he's sleeping with a stepmother. Like, why hasn't Nate done anything? Adam's not doing anything either. I tell you what, I don't know why Adam's not doing. You know, and Debbie's just, you know, God loves him. God loves him. No. No. This is a mandate for the whole church. For the whole church. Now, I, I, I got to be honest, this is an incredibly hard passage to figure out, how, how do I actually do that? Because God loves people. Because God died on the cross for people. Because God wants sinners to be reconciled to him. So, so how do I do that? How do I hand someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? That seems so counterintuitive. Like, what, what happens there? Did you notice why you need to hand them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? It says that they might be saved. Here's the reality. When someone is intentionally, persistently, and unrepentantly living in sin, and it's not just sexual sin, it could be greed, it could be drunkenness, it could be idolatry, which is putting anything before Jesus Christ. So pretty much everything, okay? Like, just sin. If you're persisting in it, if it's your lifestyle, and you come into this church building 
and you get baptized and you take communion and we pat you on your back and we say, God loves you, you're blessed, you're going to heaven. We are lying to your face. And we are giving you a shot so you get to hell faster. And we should be weeping over that. We should. But on the other hand, see, this, this is the hard thing in, in, in church culture today in, in the U.S. Because not everyone that comes on a Sunday morning is someone who is a church member. It's not, not everyone that comes on a church, uh, to church on a Sunday morning is someone who uh, proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. There are people that come. It, it's, it's common in America to come on a Sunday morning if you're just curious about what Christianity is. And if that's the case, man, we want to make that bridge to that person. We want to say, you're sexually immoral. Guess what? That wasn't a surprise to God. God loves you. And he came down and he humbled himself as man. Man, and he was suffered and he died for you. And he wants you to know that he's not holding your sins against you. But he is offering himself to you. And that makes it really difficult to practice 1 Corinthians 5. Because you got to mix. So, this is something, as church congregants, if you're like, I, I really, I'm a Christian. I, Jesus is my king. Then people should know they can call you out. And you should have at least three people in your life that you eagerly give them invitation and you plead with them. If you see me off, if you see me being abusive towards my wife, if you see me being greedy, if you see me holding back, if, if you, please, please call me out. Please. Because I'm not only going to run my life, and my heart is going to grow harder and harder. I'm not only going to run my life, but I am a cancer in the church that is eating away the whole. The yeast doesn't just affect you. It affects the whole dough. You remaining in persistent, unrepentant sin isn't just affecting you. It's affecting your family. It's not just affecting you. It's affecting this whole church. What you do matters. That's why there's actually judgment. You ever think about this? Like, there would be no reason for God to judge the world if what you did didn't matter. person sleeping with his stepmother is like, well, ultimately, everybody goes to heaven and everybody gets in, so really what you did didn't really matter. There would be no need for judgment if what you did didn't matter. But the reality that there is judgment the reality that Jesus Christ is coming back to judge the quick and the dead, that tells you that everything you do does matter. What you do, how you live, matters. And it is either adding to what Christ, like it's either, it's either building the kingdom of God, it's either spreading the message of God, it's either, it's either living in a way that is, is for the glory of God and the betterment of man, or it's the opposite of that. And there's no in-between. You're either living for God's glory and man's betterment, or you're living for yourself and man's detriment. But this is a crazy thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. These guys are oblivious to that. 
In fact, do you know who they're judging? They're judging the lost people and praising the person among them. They're judging the world that has sexual problems out there. They're judging the LGBT community out there. And, and they're telling this person who's, who says that they're saved, who they know is getting drunk every day and has a huge anger problem and beats his kids. They're saying, you're loved, you're accepted. Brethren, that, that should not be. That, that, that should not be. These, 1 Corinthians 5, the ones that they should be condemning, they're praising. And the ones that they're, they should be building a bridge towards, they're condemning. And that's so easy to do when you have a hard heart. Don't have a hard heart, church. Keep your heart pure. Keep your heart close. You can't make it by yourself. You need community. You need people that have keys to speak into your life. You need to let the, the leaders of the church know, please shepherd me. Look after my soul. Because that's their job, according to Hebrews 13. And they should be able to do it with joy. Did Adam and Nate, did they get to pastor you with joy? Do they get to look out for your souls with joy? Or is it like pulling teeth? Man, I just wish this guy would open up. I would love to help him, but he won't open up. Be vulnerable, guys. Be vulnerable. It's, it is, it, for, you, for the glory of God, be vulnerable. For the betterment of man, be vulnerable. I struggled with lust and pornography for a long time, um, from like age 12 through 18, and then, I, uh, and then I went to ministry school. I was able to bring that out into light, and I was able to confess that, and I was able to get some help, and, and some, just people come alongside and intentionally walk with me through that. You can't fight something if it's still in the dark. Confess your sins to one another that you might be made whole, that you might be healed. Don't fight alone. Me and Michaela, we've been talking about this a lot lately because um, she knows I've been preparing for 1 Corinthians 5. And we have, we have a friend in the Dallas, two friends. And uh, one of them uh, was an agnostic, didn't really dig the whole God thing. And... Uh, but he was in kind of our friend group, and uh, eventually he uh, started really liking a girl that was in our friend group. And so um, he's like, man, maybe I should give this Jesus thing a, a, like a look. Maybe I should take this more intentionally. So he started coming to church on Sundays, and then he heard that I had a Bible study that met Monday through Thursday at 6.30 a.m., and he decided to show up to that. <laughs> Lo and behold, we were starting Job. I'm like, dude, you picked the worst. Uh, anyway, but it was good. And, and, and uh, he, he hung with us all through Job. He was there for like two months. And it was, it was awesome. And I was so excited for him. I'm like, God's doing some stuff in him. 
And then he just kind of slowly but sure just kind of dropped off the map. Uh, don't, I like, I'd see him every once in a while um, and, and, you know, say hi to him and whatnot. Um, we'd watch the Mandalorian together every once in a while, and that was kind of a cool thing. But no meaningful conversations, no. And he just, yeah, he just kind of disappeared. And uh, the girl that he was interested in kind of also kind of fell off the map a little bit too. And, um, and just recently, like in the last uh, two months, um, the girl has started coming back to church. She's telling Michaela, yeah, I'm really, I'm really trying to, you know, take the Lord seriously and whatnot and, and just, you know, get back in things. Um, and she, she hasn't told me or Michaela, um, but me and Michaela know that she's living with her boyfriend, living with that, that other guy, the guy that I was telling you about. And it's kind of heartbreaking. Because it's like, is this a First Corinthians 5 situation? Like, what do I do here? Like, I have this person saying they want to grow with the Lord. But also, I don't, I don't even know if I would count them as saved in the first place. Like, and, 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 and I want to, to build a bridge to this, this, this guy, but this guy's not being vulnerable. He's not bringing any of this to my attention. He's, he's not saying, hey, man, I would like help with this. She's not really doing that. She's not being vulnerable. She's just like, man, I, you know, I, I want to get back into church. And so me and Michaela were just like, man, I just wish they would be honest. I just wish they would like, you know. Something unique, too, about this. Notice that this guy that's sleeping with his stepmother, it's not like he knows it's wrong and he's repentant and he's like, I know, I don't want to be doing this. I'm not going to struggle. No, he's boasting in it and they're praising him in it. Okay, so that's very different than the person that's struggling with pornography who doesn't want to. It's very different than the person that keeps messing up. But this is a persistent and, and unrepentant, no sorrow. Okay? And so me and Michaela are just like, does this apply? What do, what do we do with this? And church, I, I just got to tell you, I, I still don't know the answer. We're still just in prayer, just being like, Lord, would you open the door? Would you help us? Give us wisdom on how to minister to these people. Because in, in, in the world we live in, in the world we live in, uh, you're, you're considered a Christian if you went to church one time, you know. Um, that's not what it means to be a Christian, you know. So, so am I supposed to, to treat this person like an insider? Or am I supposed to treat this person like an outsider? That's, that's going to take discernment. But if someone's coming up to the front and saying, I'm a church member, that don't take no discernment, you, then, then you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so no pressure for, for all you guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, but this is a complicated issue. Don't even eat with them. Now, let's clarify some things. You might be thinking, well, you know, my husband... He's been really, you know, he drinks every once in a while, and this is great. You mean to tell me I don't have to deal with him anymore? I can just abandon him? Great. No, that's not what this text is teaching. Not at all. Actually, Paul's going to touch on that a little later on. Now, what happens if, if you're married to someone um, who is not serving the Lord and how, how to abandon it? This does not give you permission to abandon your biological family. You don't get to be like, well, hey, my six-year-old, 
is unrepentant about not doing his homework. So I get to kick him out and never eat a meal with him again. No! That's, that's, it's talking about the, the church community. Namely, it's talking about communion. Not needing to protect communion with them. To make it clear, you have no part or portion in the body and blood of Christ when you are habitually, unrepentantly living in sin. That is what's being dealt with here. This is not licensed to abandon your biological family. This is saying that communion, that fellowship together as a church is reserved for those that are really saved. It's reserved for those that are really in Christ. It's reserved for those that are not playing games with God. Does that make sense? If you go to, and you don't have this on the screen, so I'll just read it to you. But if you go to Deuteronomy 17, which is what Paul is quoting here. Deuteronomy 17, verses 1, it says, Never sacrifice sick or defective cattle, sheep, or goats to the Lord your God, uh, for he detests such gifts. Awesome. Yeah, you guys all know. Um, But that's why we needed Jesus Christ, the pure and spotless lamb, um, because none of us were ever perfect. We were never a perfect sacrifice. We need Christ. Okay, um, but outside of that, keep on moving. Uh, Verse 2, it says, When you begin living in the towns the Lord your God is giving you, a man or a woman among you might do evil in the sight of the Lord your God and violate the covenant. For instance, they might serve other gods or worship the sun, the moon, or or any of the other stars, uh, the forces of heaven, which I have strictly forbidden. When you hear about it, investigate the matter thoroughly. Note that. Investigate the matter thoroughly. If it is true that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, then the man or woman who has committed such an evil act must be taken to the gates of the town and stoned to death. We're in the New Testament now. Hallelujah. (laughs) You just get put outside the fellowship. Um, (laughs) And there's hope for redemption. Okay. Um, Verse, verse 6, but never put a person to death on the testimony of only one witness. There must always be two or three witnesses. The witnesses must throw the first stones, and then all the people may join in. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. Suppose a case arises in a local court that is too hard for you to decide. For instance, whether someone is guilty of murder or only of manslaughter or a difficult lawsuit or a case involving different kinds of assault. Take such legal cases to the place the Lord your God will choose and present them to the Levitical priest or the judge on, the, on duty at the time. They will hear the case and declare the verdict. You must carry out the verdict they announce And the sentence they prescribed at the place the Lord chooses, you must do exactly what they say. After they have interpreted the law and declared the verdict, the sentence they impose must be fully executed. Do not modify it in any way. Anyone arrogant enough to reject the verdict of the judge or of the priest who represents the Lord your God must die. In this way... 
You will purge the evil from Israel. Then everyone else will hear about it and be afraid to act so arrogantly. What's the problem with the Corinthians? They are so puffed up, right? Another way to say that is they are arrogant. Why are they arrogant? Why does Paul say, guys, I really don't want to come with a stick. But, I'm, but you need to decide. How do you want me to come? Do you want me to come in love and gentleness? Or do you want me to come with, with a stick and discipline? Here's the deal. Be slow to judge. Okay? This isn't talking about gray issues. So I better not, not be hearing reports from Nate being like, yeah, people have been coming up to me and being like, you know, I think we really need to bring, you know, we really need to bring Arrow under church discipline because he likes Lord of the Rings. And, you know, it's just out of bounds. And just, we need to hand him over the same. Like, no, that, that is not what this is talking about. This is talking about clear sin. This is talking about clear, deliberate, arrogantly unrepentant sin. That's what this is talking about. And one that you have investigated. And it's not just one, it's multiple witnesses. And then, if it's like, man, I just don't know how to interact with that, well, then guess what? You get to go to uh, Adam or Nate, the, the people that God has appointed, and they're going to help bring a judgment. But then that judgment is going to be carried out. Because you have to purge the evil person from among you. And hopefully you never have to do that. Amen? How many of you guys would like that? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> this sounds really awkward. <laughs> but it's love. That is the most loving thing you can do for someone who is arrogantly persisting in their sin, is to hand them over to Satan. And for them to realize that I'm actually not part of Christ's bride, and I'm actually an enemy of his, and I'm actually playing games and spitting in his face. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to correct somebody. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to find more of our messages, get connected with our church, or partner with us financially, you can find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Thanks again, and have a blessed week.